<laughs> Welcome back to the Mind of Monty podcast. Could not make a noise. I'm ticklish. I'm sorry. Um, we are your hosts, Monty G and I Mo. Today we have a uh, pretty interesting edition. We've got rumors in the wrestling world. We're going to talk about. I wouldn't say just pretty interesting. This is this is some crazy. This is the craziest week in wrestling in a long time. Like, yeah. Like people have been putting in uh, a great. They've been giving putting sur- summaries out there of just all the things that has happened so far in wrestling this year, mm-hmm. and people are forgetting things like the fact that Steve Austin was at WrestleMania and wrestled a full fledged match. That's true. Like all of this stuff that that were ha- that was happening in the first quarter of the year. Who cares? <laughs> Like, it's all gone that fast because in a matter of weeks, wrestling has been just, oh, my God, it's just different. And also, not only only that, like, this summer was supposed to be a big-time summer for for wrestling in general. And it still can be, you know, with Forbidden Door and with AEW doing what they've been doing. But coming out of double, Double or Nothing with the injuries and with all the other stuff that's going on, the summer of wrestling that was supposed to be special for a lot of us fans it's just almost got a brand new kind of like viewpoint on it Mm. you know it's still things to be excited about still great things coming I guess you can say but at the end of the day it's always now I think as wrestling fans we're forced to live with this unpredictable uh, you know factor if you like NXT you don't know if any of the talent on NXT is going to be there next week if you like the main roster, you don't necessarily know that either, but you also don't know what's going to happen with booking uh, on a week-to-week basis and with all of the stuff that's going on. You don't know who's going to be around in general in WWE right now. That's fair. Uh, AEW is just up and down, erratic for the most part. I can get, like, just all over the place is the best way to describe AEW, even though it's all it's great, but it can be, you know, problematic also. So it's like in everywhere we turn right now as wrestling fans is something to latch on to. And you could be looking at this like, man, this is an exciting time to be a fan. But you also can look at it and be like, this is an insane time to follow all this stuff. So to get right into it, it's just it was just too, it's too much heavy hitter type of news to talk about. With to avoid, you know, you can't really avoid any of this. Like this is just stuff that, as it has developed over the week, I've been really trying to just wait because I'm like, I need more information. I want to know where this thing is heading, and I'm very, very fortunate that we do this podcast when we do because it seems like things just kind of align perfectly. Like when it and perfectly for me as a creator, I can't say just that for Vince or for. The company in general right now, but right now, uh, this just aligned perfectly. Like the announcement happened the day I'm doing the pod of the switch, and I I can get to it in a second. But before I get to that announcement, I need to talk about why this announcement is even happening in the first place, and it, it all kind of just stemmed from you know this article that basically talked about how the board of WWE they are investigating a $3 million settlement that a longtime chief executive Vince McMahon agreed to pay to a departing employee with whom he allegedly had an affair. 
According to documents and people familiar with the board inquiry, the January 2022 separation agreement bars the now former employee who was hired as a paralegal in 2019 from discussing her relationship with Mr. McMahon or disparaging him. The people said that's what the people who are close to the situation or close to the board's inquiry says. So that's the baseline information that I, uh, that I took from, I was not going to subscribe to get any more information because I knew it would all come flooding out anyway. (laughs) Uh, so I'm sorry, uh, wall street, (laughs) whoever else who wants you to pay for subscriptions these days, uh, when most of your details of your story is going to end up on Twitter anyway. (laughs) <laughs> like it's tough being a, yeah. in the media right now. It just really is. Like you break a story, you do. And you know, hopefully you get compensated for it. But uh, you know, you you break a story, and the only thing that happens that is that it just catches like like a wildfire on Twitter. Yeah. And uh. And then your story gets buried anyway. Yeah. Um. Uh, so. Anyway, on to the rumors surrounding this story. Because with that information, I didn't really, again, this is the reason why I wanted to wait. Because I had nothing really to do with that information in itself. Like, I mean, it is what it is. I guess a lot of people ran with the affair part of it and wanted to have something to say about that. But, you know, they, they're, him and Vince and Linda are in, the seven, in their 70s, been together f- for a long time, still married as we speak. And the details of whether, whether or not or what's going on in the bedrooms really have never concerned me. I could kill this. So uh, all of that stuff is good fun, I guess. Good to poke jokes. Some of the jokes were funny I saw online. But honestly, uh, I, again, I didn't have much to do. I didn't I didn't know what to do with that other than the fact that, oh, $3 million in hush money. Hmm, budget cuts. That's the only other thing I really had to think about was that, yeah, budget cuts has been the reason reasoning behind a lot of these releases and now we find out that portions of money was used for things like this so Dave Meltzer has spoken to many people in big business who believe that Vince McMahon won't survive as CEO of WWE due to those scandalous allegations made against him and John Laurinaitis by the way who was included in uh, in the Wall Street Journal's uh, reporting this week uh, so, you know, f- the people who subscribe, you guys got a chance to read that Laurinaitis and McMahon were pretty much uh, partnering up in this situation with the Ugh, employees. Ew. Yeah, it was a tag team. Stop. And we know Vince hates the tag team division. Ugh. That's my uh, joke for the day uh, when it comes to this. But anyway, Meltzer said WWE Talent didn't know anything at all about these allegations. Of course, they wouldn't. I mean, they just like us. And that's exactly what happened. This hit them at the same time. It all hit us. So uh, they're asking the same questions we're asking, according to Meltzer. And I'm pretty sure they are. Man, what an awkward way to walk into work, though, you know. Right. (laughs) With this looming over your head. I've never worked in uh, corporate America or corporate settings in general. So uh, I can only imagine what it's like when the CEO is uh in you know in the news or something like this and you you know you just you just go to work you just do your job but you have this going on especially with Vince who was like always at behind Gorilla especially on Raw and all of those type of situations sometimes with SmackDown he will be there for SmackDown tonight so uh, interesting interesting times man uh, going into work for that company <laughs> I know I mean it was, it was interesting anyway when they were releasing people I thought it was tough to go into work 
And you know, and they still I saying when like they've done like they're done releasing. They're not done releasing people. But what I'm trying to say is when people were getting were just getting shifted in and out, I'm like, ah, oh, it's gotta be awkward going to work with your friend and you just were working and now he you know, your friend's no longer here. I so now imagine what it's like when the boss is no in the news for something like this too. Like, really? It's like And on. they call Sasha and Naomi unprofessional. Oh, you knew those was coming, Vince. Now those jokes were all great. All the sausage and Naomi love that I, I saw in response to this was uh, awesome. Like, cause they not only did I do I think they deserve it, but it's just it's just a great point. You guys wanted to bury talent and you love using that word unprofessional. I cannot wait to use it back on you because I mean you supposed to know. I mean you're the boss, you CEO. If anybody know what's professional, gotta be you, right, Vince? And I don't right. know, man. Relationships with employees and hush money. I don't, that don't sound professional. Now, if we're being honest with each other, that's pretty that's really, really professional for CEOs. Like that's that's what they do. Like, I can yeah. go down a long list of people in these positions who probably still have hush. They they it's people who saw this headline for Vince, they called their mistresses and people who need to be quiet and was like, hey. We good, right? I need to throw in extra. Check on <laughs> something you. else. I need to come check on you. I'm bringing in cash, though. No, no, you know, nothing that could be traced. No wire transfer. No inquiries into my funds. But yeah, I don't know, man. I'm, I may be, you know, just grinding. I'm just saying this is not really an uncommon scenario uh, when it comes to people, corporations. Let's say it that way. But uh, yeah. it's very, very uncommon that we get it this close to home, and uh, you know. So, I, I definitely had to talk about it when it comes to that. Uh, and apparently, speaking of Laurinaitis, an anonymous female WWE talent sent Fightful Select a message about him saying, I'd rather get all my shit sent to me in a trash bag when I get fired than to have to deal with him. Neither are good options. Uh -huh. So, I don't know who that is, but there you go. Uh, female talent in WWE do, do not feel comfortable working with uh, the Bella Twins' father-in-law. I just wanted to drop that in. That's an awkward family dinner, right? Uh, I, 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 if I'm Brian Danielson, I, I, I don't have questions. But how can you not have questions, right? Like, no, yeah, oh. how can you not? I want we gotta we gotta discuss this. You and Vince, <laughs> ew. I feel, I feel so bad now. If she didn't know about the affair, now she's like, huh, this she how knows I now. Find out about it. <laughs> she knows now because oh everybody God. knows. So uh, sleazy. Meltzer described, you know, to add to this, Meltzer described Vince's relationship with Linda McMahon in the following manner. He said, technically, they're married, but they haven't been together in a long time, though. So it's one of them situations where, you know, they've been, you know, what it is. Now, I wonder, again, this just to show you how unimportant this is, because they've been split up for a long time. No one has cared that they have not, what, lived or been together like that in a long time. Nope. And this is not uncommon, you know, keeping the marriage alive, even, you know, though you're, you're separated or whatever very, the situation is. Very common is. for people who very, have very, money. Especially <laughs> for wealthy, yeah, right. Wealthy families. Yeah, man. Divorce? Nobody, especially in America. You think Vince want to get divorced? And give up half or something? Man, please. Yeah. I mean, his kid's grown, too. And they, they got, got grandkids. grandkids, too. I'm just mm -hmm. saying, like. He could try to fight it, but it's just he, he's definitely going to be giving up something. They've been together forever. So, before he got, uh, yeah, success. especially before he was to this level. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, that's not the point. The thing is, I you know that 
is a, a tidbit of information you can do with what you will. Uh, either way it goes, Stephanie McMahon is now the interim CEO as Vince steps down. Funny, a few weeks, because I just was talking about Stephanie leaving, like I said. Terrible when you're trying to plan, uh, you know, family time or vacation. And now I got pulled right back into the fire. And by the way, they have been killing Stephanie in the media since she was getting released. Oh, she was incompetent here. She was blah, blah, blah. Now she's the CEO. <laughs> <laughs> so anybody who was spreading those rumors about Stephanie not doing their job, you were wrong. Are, no, it's not even just about that. Not that they're wrong. You better be watching out about your job now. Oh, you mean Mr. the people Mr. in Mr. the Mr. Loudmouth, whoever oh. was saying that that's why Stephanie was oh. taken down and you know, whoever mm -hmm. talking to everybody. Just, you yeah. know. It you know, shows you. Protect you your neck. Yeah, you have to watch what you say because something that was anonymous can quickly become <laughs> known. <laughs> yeah. Luckily for, for them and other news stories that we're going to talk about and uh, just people who are in situations, luckily for them, it's enough going on to where uh, if you're that employee, Stephanie is not really concerned about that right now. No. She's probably trying to just keep things from because it seems like everything is on fire. I was just about like to somebody say, keep the is, house from burning down. Yeah, the house is on fire. She's trying to get the kids... The, you know, she's trying to get everybody else out of there right now or save the burning house and, you know, renovation time. That's what she's trying to do. So we'll we'll keep an eye on that as that continues to develop. And I will definitely uh, be here next week to mention if depending on what he says and what he has to say on SmackDown tonight. I, I, or maybe I'll do another video impromptu, depending, because you never know what is going to happen. So we'll see. But definitely want to keep tabs on What's going on with this? Because, uh, I mean, this is a wrestling podcast. It's going to be so weird watching WWE, talking about WWE with no old man involved. But to some people, this is this is what, you know, some people have been waiting for for a long time. So will, some, will things actually change? I don't know about it at first, like especially while the investigation is going on. I don't necessarily think things will change too drastically. But uh, things are different. Things are definitely different now. Uh, so, Sasha Banks' situation, I want to point it out, but he didn't know if she requested it or if it was initiated by the company, but Wrestling Inc.'s Raj Geary said uh, he heard WWE has released Sasha Banks, and Twitter just absolutely blew up. It, it Literally, I was on social media when it happened at night. Everyone, No one knew what was going on, and everyone was like, oh, my goodness, Really? Cause this is right after the Vince stuff basically broke. Yeah. So it, it was, this was crazy. Just a crazy, crazy week capped on by this situation. And, uh, you know, Sean Ross out who we, we, as the wrestling community, I believe we all use him to confirm things. Right. And he was like, no, he can't confirm this with his sources, but he didn't rule out that possibility because, you know, Raj has great sources. But Andrew Zarian uh, comes in to uh, confirm, uh, even though he cannot confirm that she's been released. <laughs> he did hear last week that her attorneys were working on getting that done. And it just make that makes perfect sense, right? You know, with everything going on, I believe this is the, always the most logical outcome of the walking out situation. Uh, and it just take it may be happening a little bit faster. If this were to happen, it would be happening way faster than I expected. But again, even in Sasha's situation with the company being in its current state, uh, I don't know. Maybe this would be a perfect time to work out with your lawyers and try to slip out right now while they're concerned with other things. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it is the perfect time if that if that happens, but it is not completely confirmed. And uh, you know, all I have to say is, is that losing Sasha Banks, I don't. I think is I just be piling on to what everyone else already knows and have been saying. It's a big loss. Hilarious that they think that what they have left over of the roster right now, instead of what freshly thirty Sasha Banks, basically if she is thirty, she's freshly thirty. Mm-hmm. And has if however long how much longer she wants to wrestle she has whatever she has the world ahead of her and she's marketable as hell. Already been everywhere, already acting and doing other projects and other freshly things. Freshly thirty. So exactly. So freshly thirty. Obviously, can be one of the pillars of your company and has been one of the pillars so far in the 2010s, but could have been going forward also along with Bianca and. You know uh, Becky and some of the other faces of this division with Charlotte too. So it's just it's crazy when you think about uh, Sasha not being there, and but them investigating with Ronda, who is basically I think uh, I don't know how guaranteed her contract is long term wise. I know I think it was for another year, but I don't think it's like one of those big five year deals either. So I don't know either way it go. I think betting your future on that route instead of trying to patch things up with someone like Sasha. Big mistake, but I'm not surprised again. So, you know what I mean? Like, as much as I would like things to be right, and I think fans would like WWE to, you know, come in. With, do they say tucked between – do they say the tail tucked between their legs? Is that yes. how it works? Yeah, do they expect WWE to do that, come in, apologize? <laughs> not happening. I've read reports that they look at Sasha as another spoke on the wheel. They feel like they could make another Sasha Banks, and as long as they think like that, <laughs> so you can say deuces. And they can just watch Sasha continue to just ascend because uh, I don't know if you guys have noticed anything or have not noticed, but this thing, this walking out stuff has only made her a bigger star. Hasn't hurt her. And then you guys' credibility, at, and I'm speaking to WWE here when I say your credibility, with your credibility being shot and on the line, and basically wrestling fans have been talking about <laughs> them as far as being credible for a while. Like, we know this. It's the outside world knowing this. It's just like uh, I saw a great tweet about the whole Vince situation, that it, and it's just perfect. It was perfect because they like people who don't know anything about wrestling. They come up, hey man, you hear that Vince news? Man, that is crazy. Can you believe that? And then people who've been watching since like 1998, yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes we can believe it. Definitely. <laughs> yes. All right, but anyway, on to uh, more. You know, not. I mean, this is not really better. I think the Sasha news is probably better news, I guess, depending on what side of the fence you're sitting on. But I do want to get into it. Uh, Brian Alvarez mentioned in a discussion within AEW of firing Jeff Hardy after his recent DUI arrest. Uh, Cooler heads prevailed, and the decision was made to ask if he would get professional help. Uh, Meanwhile, Wheel Washington of Fightful says he was told AEW wanted to wait until they got in touch with Jeff before issuing any statement on the matter in general. So, uh, that you know, if you didn't know, Jeff Hardy, you know, not only was he arrested, but he, he they put out publicly that he agreed to uh, try to seek help this time. And, uh, you know, uh, but it was also noted that there's been concerns with Jeff Hardy in the locker room, uh, but also frustration. After word went around that he was spotted intoxicated in public during the pay-per-view weekend. Uh, so, again, the only thing I could do is just send my best wishes to him because I understand addiction and how it works. It's an ongoing journey. These things happen. 
uh, and it, it, it again, I'm of both minds. I was I was really really having a tough time on how to feel about all of this because it is a little bit of frustrating when you see this, but at the same time, the other side of me who understands how this works can also understand that he was putting his body through a lot of stuff again, and that it seemed to be a, a theme with a lot of his addiction. It's not me trying to psychoanalyze. I don't know all the details. It's stuff I'm missing, so don't take me, don't quote me here, but I'm saying I'm not surprised that it's a correlation with him being banged up and then him back in this situation. You see what I'm saying? So uh, uh, that's the only thing I can really think to say about it at the moment. I do wish him the best. I hope he does get help. And, uh, yeah, that's it. It's the only thing you really need to You can just leave it there. Uh, I know a lot of people have a lot of things to say on both sides of it. And, uh, you know, fair enough, I guess, depending on what you said. I'm not going to – can't can't <laughs> say I agree with some everything that you that I see. But, uh, yeah, it is what it is. You're always going to split people, kind of, when it comes up to these situations. Uh, everybody has an opinion. But I just wish him the best. I think that's overall that's overall the only thing and the most productive thing we all can do. I agree. Russell Volts claimed that there was an understanding and creative that the decision to unify the tag titles with so Roman Reigns would appear on both Raw and SmackDown more regularly, but it was just recently announced that he's only supposed to be set to be on one Raw in the next, you know, four to five weeks. <laughs> so it just hasn't been the case so far, and I agree. They said they were gonna he was gonna be seen more. He's been seen even less yeah, with he both titles. Been on SmackDown. Uh, I mentioned it last week. It just seems like it's a mistake. He will be defending the title finally. Uh, on this episode of SmackDown against Riddle, but I think we all know, even with the stipulation that Riddle won't be able to challenge again, I think Roman most likely is definitely going to win. And if them giving me this match kind of feels like they're confirming in a way that he won't be fighting that money in the bank. But, hey, maybe I'm wrong. We'll see uh, what happens there. But uh, last but not least, the Wrestling Observer Newsletter says there has been talk of John Cena versus Austin Theory at SummerSlam. Uh, Cena will be returning and uh, it makes sense to make him fight Theory what will happen will he go over on Theory or will he put over the young kid nah, is my question uh, I I really think I really think you can give the belt to, you not, to, to John Cena and it wouldn't hurt but at the same time the only I think we all know the, the big determining factor here is how much John Cena will be will, are we seeing is this another SummerSlam and then go off or is this is uh, something that he's going to try to prolong? That will probably determine the outcome of this United States match, if they have it. Uh, but I'm, I'm still thinking Theory probably is the right one to give the victory to, unfortunately, for people who don't like Theory. Uh, and I don't mind it either way because I like – come on, Cena winning, I'm not mad at it, and I don't think it would kill Theory to lose to Cena. But I think the good business thing to do, especially if Cena won't be around – to give it to theory. We'll see what happens and well, if it will even happen. Well, yeah, I was going to say, you know, Vince was heavily involved in Austin Theory's uh, career up until this point. So with that news, we'll see. Yeah, will they just shift it out and just say the McMahon family? <laughs> Stephanie. Like, and yeah, now it's just Stephanie will be mm. of a big proponent of them now. I don't know. but He got he, he got some, yeah. some shady Definitely backers. interesting. Um, yeah. But yeah, so again, we 
with Forbidden Door is coming up and you know with with some of the matches that we previewed last week for Dominion having implications for Forbidden Door and our just general love for New Japan one of us decided to watch Dominion and decided that they wanted to do a rating so I will let that person speak I don't know why you do this. It's no one else here. One. <laughs> it's Call Mind for, of Monty. For dramatics. Two. I can't be and dramatic. Anyway. Suspense. It it wasn't suspenseful. It was only one person besides you here. But <sighs> Maybe it would have been me. Review, I could have I could have done it this time. I think I think at this point the the people who listening know. That I am all about it. No. No, no. Like you've been typecasted the opposite way. For real? Anyway, uh, really? What are you talking about? Chincha? Based on the evidence. What evidence? Corcona. Anyway. <sighs> Whatever. Dominion review. Just want to give you guys a reminder of my rating scale. Uh, Fight Forever. That's my classic. Those are the must see level matches. Excellent for very good to superior. Matches, textbook, solid, fine, right down the middle. Uh, what you expect from uh, the particular promotion and passable, which is, you know, acceptable uh, level in my opinion, and then skippable, last but not least. Of course, skippable. You won't be seeing any skippable matches here since New Japan. I don't think they ever really have ever given me anything that I thought you could completely do without, but, eh, you know, we have to uh, keep watching. Maybe they will. Uh, United Empire versus Team Six or Nine and Tenzan. This is a textbook preview trios match. It accomplishes goal. It previewed Akira and TJP versus Team Six or Nine for the Junior Tag Titles, which will be held on the twentieth. And Hanare got a chance to, you know, to look strong at the end. So this was not bad at all. On to Lij versus the Bullet Club, which was Taiji, ELP, and Ace Austin, who turned on, uh, you know, his homie Alex Zane. To join the Bullet Club, uh, but or you know his homie for the, uh, at least for best of Super Junior. I don't know how long they were homies before that, but anyway, this was another textbook preview style match. In this case, it was focused more on Taiji versus Hiromu, uh, which their title match will take place on June twenty first. So this is another good preview for that. And Ace Austin is just by the way, I want to mention he's very very fun to watch, and I think him and the Bullet Club are a great pairing. He fits their aesthetic. And I don't mind his magic tricks. At least that's what they seem like to me. Illusions, I guess, is what they are. Always has an ace up his sleeve. Love it. Uh, But uh, this was fun to watch. But I must say, whenever Bushi is in the match, my boys, LIJ, their chances of winning drastically go down. I thought because we had Super Juniors, LIJ would have a shot in the match. But no. It was the Bullet Club's time. And, you know, no, no big deal. Uh... With ELP picking up the the, the uh, pin here, uh, Doc Gallows versus Toriano. This is probably the worst thing on the show, uh, but I still thought it was passable. Uh, but even for Yano match standards, this wasn't really uh, the best. So I wasn't expecting a classic because I'm talking about Yano match standards. Uh, but you know, I've seen Yano do better, and I've seen Gallows uh, look better. So uh, this was passing. I think I'm being fair here when I say it was passable. But uh, I, you know, Yano picked up the victory with a surprise, uh, low blow, kind of like pin combination, which is you know what he does. But again, could have been better. House of Torture versus ZSJ. 
Connor Morrow and Despy. So uh, again, by the way, AEW, El Desperado is one of the biggest, especially over the last year, has been one of the biggest junior heavyweights in the world, uh, and just the best in New Japan. It was their champion not too long ago, and for him to just kind of pop up in AEW with little mention of that, he's just he's just Despy from just Desperado from uh, from Suzuki Goon was basically the way you guys explained him. Again, some of the growing pains of doing this cross-promotional work, so I'm not going to necessarily complain about it because I kind of, you know, at the end of the day, AEW is AEW. They're going to do television like they do television. So for New Japan fans who are who are expecting AEW to, you know, kind of start giving you New Japan-level presentation, or then if you expect New Japan to kind of get more Western, you see what I'm saying? Like, either way it go, you're looking for the wrong thing. If you're an AEW fan and you're looking at New Japan and you're expecting what you're used to from AEW, then it's just not going to happen. The same thing could be said vice versa when you're a New Japan person and you're looking at AEW, and I think that needs to be uh, highlighted when you're looking at this stuff uh, a lot of times when you uh, see things that are different or not what you're used to when it comes to uh, looking at both promotions. But putting a wrench in your kick pad and kicking your opponent in the head is such a nice tactic. I'm like, I don't understand. Like, uh, I'm glad that they gave it to show, uh, especially if you're a heel. Uh, and he's been a heel. He's out of his damn mind. It was perfect for his character because he's just sadistic at this point. And I thought this was just a textbook example of how the House of Torture's magic tends to go. Uh you know, of course, with the interference and, you know, how things work. But I thought Kanemaru looked really good. I thought Suzuki-Goon tried their best. And uh, they were definitely the, the sympathetic team here on this side of the uh, the ring. But House of Torture took him out. I predicted that would happen. Uh, no surprise here for me. Uh, United Empire, Okan and Cobb finally getting their chance to fight Chase and Fale, which they weren't even involved in the pinning sequence when Chase and Fale won the tag title. So this was comeuppance in a way, I guess. That, uh, and, you know, I, I love that finishing sequence here that, uh, you know, let Cobb hit the tour of the islands. And I was just happy overall that the uh, Empire immediately won their belts back. Because, you know, in my opinion, they never should have lost them. I've said that since they lost them. And... <laughs> Uh, I, I can't dwell on it now because now all is right. I think the best tag team as far as like image-wise and what they could bring to Forbidden Door is the champion now. Champion Are the champions now, and I don't mind that. And, uh, you know, it's good to see them take back over. Uh, I thought this was a solid match, so I'm giving it a textbook rating. Uh, I, by the way, right after this, they announced the G1 Climax, and I think they said everyone who was going to be in it. And, uh, you know, four blocks of seven – and the names like, you know, with Archer and Jonah coming back. And then you have ELP finally in the G1 Climax, you know. Uh, I can't wait for, for a lot of Japanese fans to get to see Jonah, the former Bronson Reed. He's awesome. He's going to kill it. Uh, I don't necessarily know where to go, even though I did, you know, find out an interesting tidbit that the only thing that Osprey hasn't done in this company is win the G1. So that's something, but I don't necessarily know. Where I'm picking yet, we'll worry about that uh, when the time comes. But, yeah, I'm very, very excited for the uh, G1. And just like last year, I do plan on covering as much as I can. I don't know will it, if it be, will be to the extent that it was last year, but uh, I will do my best. On to the second half of the show. 
with Goto and Tanahashi. You know, big time match for the AEW qualifier. Uh, Chris Charlton really was highlighting how uh, that Goto, you know, that he's beaten Moxley in the past. Uh, he highlighted how, you know, just basically how close Goto is, have, has always come to being uh, in this spot. And always, He's always been like the guy who was the runner-up to the champion. But uh, it, I thought bringing that to light made Goto feel a little bit more uh, legit in this match. It was helpful for people who may not, you know, or people who may be new to the product or people who are just watching for uh, AEW purposes because they knew this had a lot to do with the title qualifier. I thought, you know, talk, explaining how, you know, Goto's story helped along with, you know, keeping Tanahashi the focus. And, you know, in this match, Goto came close, but again, not able to get over the hump with Tana. And even if you think Tana is slowing down, even if I've seen him be, uh, you know, move lightning fast at times back in the day and all that type of stuff, he is still one of the best and especially one of the best at making you believe in him, man. And uh, his, you know, the fact, the way that he fought back and the way he, he came back in this one in a big match, uh, it was just a textbook. You know, it was textbook stuff for me. Solid, very, very good stuff. And uh, I know they probably both could go in another gear, but I still like this match. And I still thought it did what it needed to do, letting Tanahashi earn his right to fight Moxley for the AEW interim title. So we'll see how that works out at Forbidden Door. I don't know anywhere. I don't know it. I don't know what the hell I'm doing when it comes to picking that. Uh, Tanahashi, when he made his debut, uh, well, not really a debut, but he finally got a chance to get in the ring, kind of do a face to face with Moxley. And you know, I I don't necessarily mind that. I understand that the way we do promos, as far as like in Western wrestling, it's sometimes, especially, in, it puts a lot of New Japan people who uh, guys who are not necessarily used to doing, like, the in-the-ring promo. Like, the only time you're going to see in-the-ring back and forth when it comes to New Japan is after the main event most of the time or after the match. And they still don't necessarily present it the same way uh, Western audience do. So it was kind of, you know, awkward in my opinion sometimes listening to Moxley give the promo of his life and then Tanahashi just kind of relegates to standing there. And then when he finally gets to speak, Jericho comes out. All that's annoying, but at the same time, I didn't mind it too much because it did advance what Jericho has to do for Forbidden Door and uh, you know but how much heat did it actually add to the world title feud I'm not really sure but I, I you know I'm still hoping for the best we'll just have to see how things come together uh, as the weeks go by and when we finally get to Forbidden Door uh, Shingo versus Tai Chi when I was predicting this match I don't even think I was really sure who had the trophy honestly uh, and when I predicted this one, I was expecting hijinks based on that trophy's history. But, you know, even though with the pin count and how they, you know, basically came up with the points for the score system in this match kind of confused me at first. But once I kind of got the gist and could see that, okay, every time you get a one count, it, it adds a point. If you get a two count, he kick out, it adds a point. If you get three, so basically the ref just has to keep counting. And whoever ends up with the most points at the end wins. And it ended up being a... Very, very close fight with, uh, I guess, Shingo winning 11 to 10. So, uh, it was it was really, really good. You know, it made me – this made me really wish I saw the 25-minute match that made Shingo the uh, the KLPW, you know, trophy winner or uh, trophy holder anyway. Uh, but I heard Shingo wants either a championship belt or a new trophy now that uh, he's going to be 
KLPW, and I think he's going to represent it for the rest of the year, or he's going to have to defend it for the rest of the year, or something like that. Maybe, yeah. maybe that's going to, uh, maybe it's just continuing defending. And I'm, I was misconstruing what Kevin said, but either way it goes, uh, Shingo took took home the trophy, and I thought this was really, really good. Like I thought this was excellent. It was competitive, it was different, and it was fun. So yeah, I really, really thought this was good. Shingo and Tachi, I love it. Tama and Carl Anderson. Uh, man, the story for this match was great going into it. And then I thought Kevin Kelly and Chris Charlton did an awesome job on English commentary uh, talking about and just kind of building up the story while the action was going on. And it kind of helped me locate different things that they were doing from a storytelling standpoint, even if the match wasn't really like, uh, like oh, look at this crazy move here. Look at that. Look at this. It was a lot of great uh, selling and a lot of great storytelling going on in this match. And I I just love when New Japan storytelling and the action kind of can go hand in hand. I just, I thought they did a really good job. And it, it just wasn't a masterpiece. It wasn't perfect. But I thought everyone from the commentators to the performers really compelled me into the story that they were trying to tell. And uh, Carl, Carl was a great fall the whole night. Thomas showed great fighting spirit. And... Even though I'm not really a fan of the whole he gunstun gallows, but that distracted him so he could get gunstun uh, finish. I don't. I'm not really a fan of that. That does mean to me that this is not over, and Tama could possibly get revenge down the line. G1 maybe even in another title match later on. So, uh, you know, this is a really good match to me. But uh, the finish made it kind of textbook level uh, because again, I've, I'm I'm kind of over the whole. The distraction thing that was, I'm not going to say overdone, but again, very, very basic finish to a good match to me. Sonata and Osprey uh, to go ahead and get to the U.S. title picture. I didn't predict this because I didn't know what the hell they were going to be doing when uh, we were time, when it was time. I had no clue uh, what was coming up. So they basically removed the champion, Juice Robinson, from the match and left his belt on the line. So we was in this situation where we had two challengers and we had a title match, no championship belt. Because Juice was not uh, in the country, uh, you know, anymore. Not in Japan. So, uh, with his appendicitis, it's getting so crazy with you. It's like it's just in general the U.S. title from since its inception has just been insane, and it's been so bad that Kevin and Chris has pretty much had to directly acknowledge the curse that I think a lot of people uh, are familiar with if you've been keeping up with the trajectory of the U.S. title when it comes to New Japan. It's just some, something's always happening Whether it's an injury Whether it's a weather delay Messing up a title match It's just Over the years It's just always been something With this belt And uh, We are LIJ biased In this household I think that is That's just simple Like you love Hiromu You you love Sonata Yes I love them all But I'm more of a Naito You know Guy More Matter of fact I put I'm, I'm, I'll take Naito Over any of them But Naito and Shingo Are more More my style you're more of uh, Hiromo and Sonata. But that don't mean I don't like them. I'm just kind of. And vice versa. You know, kind of saying, you know, exactly. Exactly. I kind of think that's how we kind of play it here. So, but once they changed it to a singles match, it guaranteed to me Sonata was losing. No way he was winning this match. Mm. Uh, Forbidden Door was going to happen without an There was no way Forbidden Door was going to happen without an Osprey match one. And you know, I just thought it was no way that it was going to happen without Osprey being a champion also. So when you think about it that way and you know that uh 
you know, even without the actual belt and it being kind of weird, you can see that this was just going to continue Juice and Osprey's rivalry. Uh, but my biggest complaint is that Sonata never really seemed like he had a mean streak towards uh, Osprey. And I know he's the cold skull, you know, being emotionless is his thing. But in this case, it's just so I, I really thought they missed the opportunity by not having Sonata be more aggressive and be more angry uh, towards uh, Osprey because he should be. But, you know, the match itself deserves a textbook rating for me because uh, I do think they both could have done better, but he beat Sonata easily, man. It was like sound. And it's the second time in a row he's basically taken out Sonata without break. I'm not going to say without breaking the sweat, but it just wasn't It wasn't what you would expect in a big-time title match. So I don't know what that means for Sonata going forward, but we will see. But as far as Osprey, congratulations on being the, U, the new U.S. champion. And uh, that'll set him up perfectly for, I guess, defending that belt against Orange Cassidy at Forbidden Door, which I think they pretty much announced. So, yeah, good luck with that. I've seen a lot of people not necessarily happy with that combination. But I think if, they get, if they're given time, they can have a really, really good match. I, I trust Will anyway, and I think Orange Cassidy has proven that he is dependable also uh, if given time and if he's allowed to do what we've come to love from Orange Cassidy. So I'm interested to see how that turns out. Last but not least, the main event, uh, man, we got to get to Jay White and Kazuchika Okada. This was just smart professional wrestling. It was crisp. Uh, Jay White was in control, of course, most of the match. And, of course, with the well-timed help of Gato. But Jay was toying with the fans. And, you know, it seemed like he seemed like he was toying with them to me and, like, kind of making fun of them because they couldn't make noise. But after the match, I kind of got clarification on what was actually going on. So, it, it, it made something that I thought was a fun touch even better. I'll get to that in a second. This version of Jay White, man, is just on another level. And I'm going to be honest with you. I'm proud to say that I've been here from the start, at least from the start of his post-excursion run, you know, uh, of watching Jay White become who he is now. Because I think uh, the way he was just – it was just he just felt like a master class of just his great heel work. And Okada is, a, is like a final boss in himself, so – you know he was going to continue to fight, and he did. And at that point, this match really had me going. And I thought Jay, Jay was in Okada's head, and he basically out-wrestled him uh, for the most part. And that that's completely different than a lot of some of those, those other cheaper victories that Jay White has gotten over Okada in the past. But even with Gato's interference at times, he just seemed to be better than Okada, man. And when he hit the Blade Runner and it was over uh, – I just remember thinking to myself before that, I could watch them go forever. So that's my match rating. I definitely gave them a fight forever for this one. Okada and Jay White hit it out the park to me. And I just thought it was an incredible match to watch. And I just I have to admit, King Switch had me proud of him by the end of this match. And I just love how New Japan can just evoke that emotion out of me uh, just by mentioning something. Because like I mentioned earlier, he wasn't telling the crowd to say something because he was trolling them. Years ago when he was a young lion, he told that crowd that they were his family. Told Osaka that they were like family. And after the match, he was saying, say something because, like, you guys are my family and you got, you want, you're got not happy for me. And the way he just kind of turned that and, like, basically it just felt like a culmination of, uh, of his story from where he was way back then to now being on top of the mountain and being the best in New Japan. And I, I just love that. I love those long-term 
beautiful stories wrapping up right in front of your very eyes. And I just feel like if you're not going to watch Dominion going into Forbidden Door, at least check out Jay White versus Kazuchika Okada before you watch Forbidden Door. Uh, and go check out his promo where he basically tells you guys he created AEW, how that worked, because that was a chef's kiss. It was perfect. And, uh, man, overall, this is just a solid, very fun show to me. I thought it had huge implications going forward in New Japan. I thought this set them up towards Forbidden Door and the G1 Climax, which means, which is great because they got two things done uh, at once. And this can be one of the greatest summers in New Japan if things go as planned. Uh, with everything going on, it's just a good time, in my opinion, to get back on that New Japan uh, New Japan bandwagon if you hopped off uh, because of how the pandemic has basically stifled them in every way possible. So, uh, yeah, man, looking forward. New Japan has big things going on, and I, I must say with Jay White leading the pack, I cannot wait to see what's next and what's going to happen at Forbidden Door. Who's going to be Jay White's opponent? Half of being we'll definitely be covering that and trying to figure out what's going to happen. Uh, because he did swerve Adam Cole and basically told Hangman Page to screw off. Okada's not going to be there, so you know, we'll see. I don't know if Okada actually won't be there. Hell, Naito's not even listed for anything right now. That will determine, trust me, you guys know me, that will determine how excited I am. Going into this show, if they can't find anything for Naito and they can't get Okada on the card, I'm not gonna lie, I will be disappointed. So we'll see what happens going forward. But that's it. That's all the wrestling I can talk about. A good 45 minutes, uh, you know, touching on all three of the major promotions. I'm not trying to exclude anyone. If I didn't talk about you and you're major, you're still major. But I'm just saying. The three major promotions that we cover here. so That has like 90% of the talent. Yeah. Okay. Um, I guess next up is, is Moe's Marbles. I'll keep it short today, even though, you know, that is kind of difficult with what, what happened over uh, the past <coughs> week. So um, the nine-year anniversary of, of uh, BTS, Bonton, they, you know, it was on the 13th of this month and they hosted or they didn't host it was a pre-recorded dinner that they released um the next day or it, it seems like it was a day of for us but like the next day for them it in time time zones right anyway they released the, the bond time video dinner and um a lot of people were i don't know if they were upset they were heartbroken mostly um because during the <laughs> during the video um, allegedly, Sugar said a word in Korean that was then translated to hiatus in English. But the actual word for hiatus in Korean is chamshishida, which I don't remember hearing him say. I don't think he said that. But anyway, BTS is focusing on their solo works um, for the time being. That does that did not mean that they are disbanding and, and Sugar made sure to, to tell you that no, we are not disbanding. We're just shifting our focus to solo works to kind of get back to them touching base with themselves, um, get to mature more, um, and basically take time to focus on what they want to focus on individually and not as the group BTS, which does not mean that they are not coming back. <laughs> yeah. 
the internet probably weren't all outraged, but there's definitely people out there who, you know, yes. were worried. I mean, honestly, not even just the internet. We can just go ahead and talk about it. I mean, people in the, who bought BTS stock. Oh, yes. You know. They they lost, I think, 1.5 or 1.7 billion people are pulling out. Um, of their stock because they 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 were afraid. They people were panicking, and um, investors were panicking. Fans were panicking. New new armies, people who joined in the dynamite butter era, they're like, oh my god, I'll never get to see BTS in concert again, yeah. or at all. Um, yeah. it was a lot going on, and since the, since the initial thing posted. They've all come out in their own ways to try to Soothe. calm people down, you know, because a lot of people just some people really were reacting to it like they were never going to see them at all again. But they're still going to be, and, you know, but they never really. Yeah, they never said they were going to just stop and just fall off the face of the earth. Uh, it's just as a group. And, you know, Nam Jun really broke it down. R.M. Uh, he broke it down perfectly. You know, he was one of the. If not the, but definitely one of the brain trusts behind a lot of their directions and a lot of the mute lyrical content. So when he ran, like basically since 2019, since on since Map of the Soul, uh, they haven't he hasn't really ha- had much else to write. Like the story in his mind was complete after that, and uh, basically it's basically to try to paraphrase with a lot of what he was saying. So, butter and dynamite. A lot of the stuff that they got, a lot of this success. Not to say it wasn't it wasn't their first crossover success, but no. I guess you could say it kind of made them undeniable or nuclear type of hot. If you see what I'm trying mm-hmm. to say, these singles. Uh, but none of that was planned. Like they were just kind of like they were bored. Uh, and- they were bored, but it was like this was kind of a product of the pandemic. Let's say it that way. Mm-hmm. Like the the pandemic shut them down. They couldn't really do much. So to give people something, they wanted to put out singles, or they 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 decided to put out singles, and you know those singles blew up. So it kind of prolonged this. But t- to be fair, it sounded like after Map of the Soul Seven, and after the, all the touring for that, they were probably going to do this anyway. Yes, yes. They were probably going to do split off and try to just do more whatever solo projects. If other people want to do this, want to do that, act, model, whatever, whatever. They wanted to finally get a chance to do. A lot of the stuff that they haven't been doing because they have been working nonstop for seven to eight years. Nine years. So nine years. So they have been working nonstop. So I, I, I my takeaway immediately was fair enough. Even when you uh, had, when you originally, because you didn't say the right things. Tell them how you originally told me this, what was going on. When I you screamed in the other room and said they're breaking up. Yes, I dramatized it. <laughs> And that's exactly, and if you can do that, just imagine with all the drama kings and queens who have no, like you said, new faces who, you know, main, you know, whatever. A lot of people who are obsessed about them all day. If you can dramatize it like that and say they're breaking up and you didn't even watch the clip. I didn't. The internet, the internet was. Uh, that just shows you where the internet was at because you didn't even see the clip yet. And you're just going off of everyone else's reaction. You said yeah. they're breaking up. Yeah, and I think the the main concern for the people that were outraged about it, and if you outrage, you know you have the right to feel so, but get over yourself. Like these these people have their own lives, 
and they don't. I think you can be outraged to an extent. That's the only thing I can say about that. Because, like I said, the presentation of it all. Yes. The it whole, came off the whole, wrong. Even Nam Jun had to apologize for how he everything. Didn't apologize, but, well, he didn't know. He never officially apologized. But he, the, he, he, he acknowledged it. He accepted that I was things about can to say. look bad. Yeah, he acknowledged it. He, um, didn't, he didn't never say he was sorry, but. Based on how it was presented, because he, he was the even main one that. talking. It may have sounded that he was bitter about some things, and that was not, that is not the case. Yeah. Um, but. But the presentation, them coming out with the three songs that were saying, oh, the best is yet to come. We'll we'll always be here with you forever, yada, yada, yada. A lot of people falsely um, thought that they were going to get more BTS after this, more group dynamic because they were reflecting on how far they've come as a group and how the the importance of it being the seven of them. It has been in, like the narrative for BTS is or was that with the seven of them, anything can be accomplished. Anything is possible. And then for you to come out on the anniversary of y'all's, you know, group, which is an important day for fans, some people, the group, whatever, and say that, hey, we're going to be individuals now for a while. A lot of people took that the wrong way. Um, and that's why I say to an extent I can understand anger because again especially uh, if you're if you've only been a fan since like but <laughs> and, yeah. and then you see yet to come and it's like oh okay the best is yet to come I like the little singer alright and then like you said you put all that together and it's like really the best is yet to come and really <laughs> and really so like that's that again to an extent I can understand but even then it's only from that mo- only from like the feeling of that moment it's not I don't think it's anything you should be like oh no I'm never doing this again I'm never blah 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 or screw you you know blah, blah, blah. you know what I mean like it shouldn't have been yeah. it couldn't have been it shouldn't have been as personal as it seemed to be for some people but you know that's that you know everybody got everybody reacts to things certain, differently uh, the way and they going I'm, to react to them as I don't want to I don't want to say as a newly obsessed fan as a new army, even though I've been a fan of BTS for years, just newly obsessed, newly obsessed fan of BTS. Um, I just want to say from, from, from my point of view, um, thank you for, um, just opening up like a whole new world. Because if I had not getting, gotten interested in the fake love, I wouldn't be such a, a, a fan slash stan of, of uh, EXO, SHINee, and hyphen text, yada, yada, yada. So I, regardless, I always love BTS individual. I'm excited for Hobie's uh, album that's supposed to be coming out soon. Yeah, we like the mixtapes they put out for the most part. Anyway, so yes, I'm, and the solo singles like you, you were killing me when he when he when Jimmy put out an OST, and you just kept talking about oh, all the stats, single this, single that. Okay, well here you go. Now he's for now yes, he's a he soloist. Does, he does have an album in the works. Like yeah, they just saying, get ready. Same thing with JK. JK, all of it. Just get ready, and it is, and that's that's the thing that I was like, all right, all right. Now you being over dramatic, people. I mean. They they're not they're they still gonna give us music even if it's not BTS. Yes. So v has, what are you talking about? V has a reality show coming out with his friends, um, a spinoff of In the Soup. It's it's they're they're 
they're still going to be visible. They're still, well, for some people, Jim is not going to post on Instagram. But they're still going to, you know, connect with their fans and the public in general. It's not like they're just going to go drop off the face of the earth, um, which a lot of people took it as. I don't know why. But anyway, um, that's, that, is the, that is the somber part of the news. I still will be playing the mobile game that's coming out next week, week after next, week after next, end of June. Um, but on to happier news in hyphen has a comeback manifesto, uh, part one or something. One manifesto one is what I will call it. And I'm excited about that. I saw the concept art. It looked really, um, dark and there's a lot of red and black. You know, I like red and black. Yeah. Um, good analysis. I know, right? I, I, I don't know. It sounds it sounds a little uh, I don't want to say punk rock, but the the snippet that they they released sound in hyphen in hyphen has a lot of rock influences anyway in their music, and it just seems like a continuation of that. And I'm excited. I, I I'm holding my tongue until I hear something. I don't really care about. Snippets, pictures, seizures. I don't care. But the whole the whole concept is it. important. You have to see the aesthetic. You know I don't care about because it. if the song trash, I could care less about your story. Ah, oh. simple as that. Shut why you think? Heart. Why you think that uh that uh XL song when they uh when they on the ship dancing? Don't I could kill this or don't fight this. Could kill this because I hate the song. So there you go. But I don't I don't know the aesthetic of that one. That one was just trying to be happy and upbeat. It was it was weird. SM been dropping the ball lately anyway. But speaking of speaking of those people, Do Young, my I was about to say my love, but Doyo. He has a TV show um that is set to debut at the end of this month or at the beginning of July, um, called To the X Who Doesn't Love Me. And I've read the premise. I'm gonna watch it. Cause he's a main he has a main role there, but we shall see since I'm so heavily devoted to K-dramas and K-rom-coms, just Korean TV shows these days. Like, I started watching Shooting Stars. Oh, hooked, obsessed. Um, So, yeah, we've, I've, got, I've got a new drama that I'm going to be watching um, from, from Do Young, from NCT. I probably should have said that. NCT's Do Young TV show coming out later this month um but that's it for the marbles again when i i wouldn't be i wouldn't be here without bts bonton and i wouldn't love as many different artists without them crossing over to this the level that they did with fake love and yep uh most successful k-pop group ever you just leave it at that you can yes most and successful K-pop we're, group we're ever. excited to see what they have to offer in their individual roles. We already got V out here with his shirt unbuttoned on the Instagram. Um, hopefully, maybe, possibly, we'll get Jen on a variety show. We got albums coming. We got JK drunk on live. We, we, we've got things to be excited about. And that is it for my marbles. Happy trails. Happy trails. Uh, just want to say congratulations to Steph Curry, the Warriors, the crew. Four rings in eight years. They did it. I picked them. I don't know if I ever came on the podcast and gave my picks, but at the very beginning of the playoffs, I said, I'm probably going with the Warriors. 
And it was just because, you know, I trusted them the most. Championship DNA, like they've done it. And there you go. They did it again. And I never root for Boston. I, I they, they, You don't understand the type of tight I was in. This is why I haven't talked about the finals. I was in a freaking pinch. I hate the Celtics. And I've rooted against the Warriors for the better part of a decade. But I would root for the Warriors all day before I root for the Celtics. So, uh, you know, just want to give them love. Shout out to Steph. Doing your thing. Finals MVP. Now everybody can shut up. Cause he got a Finals MVP. Now he's at the table, right? We can now he can talk. Now he can be with Kobe, Magic, and you know Bron and the crew, Jordan. You know now he can be up there with those guys. Can you guys stop, you know, acting like he ain't the greatest shooter ever? Like he wasn't in, he wasn't there already. You can't say he the greatest shooter ever and then be like, ah, he wasn't at the table with Jordan them until he got a Finals MVP. <laughs> well, he got it. Four rings. Good job, Steph. All right. Anyway. I ain't got nothing else to say to you guys. I appreciate you, everyone for listening. Oh, I do have one more thing. I'm sorry. I just lied that fast. Everybody who's been watching my videos on Monty's Universe, I thank you so much. Thank you so much. My views going up, uh, especially specifically the Cody thing. I'm glad you guys appreciated what I had to say about that match. Uh, and, yeah, subscribe to Monty's Universe. Keep it up. I appreciate it. I'm going to keep doing what I can to be as consistent as I can be. Au revoir. Adios. See you when I see you.